Good morning and welcome to Wavemakers with Janet and Tom, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And answering the phones for us today is super voter John Dunn. If you want to join our conversation, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663 and John will get you through to us. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813 813- Four three three zero eight eight five. A friendly reminder: you have one more week to vote. Mail ballots have been out for weeks, and early voting is well underway. Millions of votes have already been cast, so let your voice be heard. And if you haven't made your donation to the WMNF Fall Fund Drive, please please consider doing so right now. You can go to WMNF.org and hit the tip jar to show your appreciation for independent, non-commercial community radio and our Wavemakers show. Today's Wavemaker is Democratic political consultant Maya Brown, who recently was named one of the 150 most most influential people in Florida politics by FloridaPolitics.com. In 2020, she was named one of Influence Magazine's 30 Under 30. She recently helped elect Ashley Gant of Miami to Congress and is working on the re-election campaigns for state representatives Michelle Rayner and Fentress Driscoll. Welcome, Maya. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. So um, we will later in the um, hour have somebody from All for Transportation calling in, Christina Barker. But um, first, let's talk a little bit about um, what's going on in the legislative races. So you are working on uh, two campaigns. Tell us about those, uh, Fentress Driscoll and Michelle Rayner, who has an interesting opponent. Oh, my goodness, yes. Um, so both of those ladies I have the honor of working with have been with them. Um, this is our second cycle working together. Um, and both running for re-election. So um, post-redistricting, both of their districts look a little different. Um, so Rep Driscoll's district moved a little bit more east, and so includes um, less of Carrollwood, but more New Tampa, um, Sefner, a little bit of Brandon now. Um, and the reason for that, as you can probably imagine, is that they wanted, the Republican legislature wanted to um, uh de-isolate or to take away voting power from the Democratic voting bloc in Hillsborough County. Of course. And so that had an impact on Rep Driscoll, Rep Learned, and also Rep Michelle Rayner. And so now Rep Rayner's um, has a little bit more Hillsborough than she did before. Um, And so, but still, instead of having four counties, she only has two Hillsborough, parts of Hillsborough and parts of Pinellas. Um, But both of those ladies are um, now in more Democratic seats. Um, There's more Democrats in those um, individual seats. Um, and, and really looking forward to having those ladies go back to the legislature because we we need their voices um, with everything that's going on in Tallahassee, um, with everything that um, leadership is trying to stop in terms of um, what we look like as black, black women and being able to live safely in this state, um, be healthy in this state, right, and be able to um, have a quality of life just like everyone else. And so, um, yes, Rainer's um, opponent is sitting in Pinellas County Jail, um, which is very interesting. I don't think he'll be able to vote for himself um, for this election because he... Let's, let's no, just re- no mail repeat ballots that. at the jail? 
Yeah, <laughs> he <laughs> participated in the January 6th insurrection. And, is, and he's a Republican. He's a Republican. And he was actually nominated by Republicans, right? I think so. And so um, the Tampa Bay Times just did this very interesting expose on all of the local folks who were identified as participating in the insurrection. Um, and Jeremy, Jeremy Brown is his name, currently awaiting trial in Pinellas County Jail um, for participating in the rex, in, insurrection. And what gets me, um, Tom, is that he is talking about not trusting the government, wanting to overthrow the government, but also running to represent us in government. Isn't it? That's that, a little, that, a little bit ironic? of a disconnect. <laughs> I'm not sure what the I just don't even know how he could that. make it to committee weeks if he did actually win. That's right. So, like, right? That's right. Do they let him out? Like, he gets a, it might be encouraging, a jail call. It might be encouraging for Donald Trump if he winds up in jail at some point. Maybe which so. Could happen. He could be indicted and running for president at the same time. But are the, the I, I'm not familiar with the poll numbers. Are we looking, uh, does it look like they're pretty safe, Michelle and, um, and Fentress? Well, you know, polls don't vote, people do, right? Just like mm-hmm. we say about yard signs. And so, yes, based on registration, those ladies um, are going to do really, really well, but we need folks to turn out. Um, and well, Fentress Driscoll is also in a position of, of some quite a bit of power in Tallahassee. She is going to, yeah. yes, explain that. Yes, yeah, so uh, Fentress, Rep Driscoll, is the first black woman to lead the minority party, or any party actually, in the state of Florida, in the Florida House of Representatives. So that means that she um, leads her caucus, um, helps kind of um, put together the strategy on how they're going to put forth legislation, stop bad legislation in Tallahassee. Um, and so that was a history-making um, event for her and in, in the state. And so we're looking forward to her serving in that position for two terms. Because stopping legislation in Tallahassee in some, to- some ways is more important than getting stuff passed because okay. so many bad bills get filed. And is it going to be more difficult for her if the Republicans uh, increase their majority? Because we're, we are a Republican state now. They control both chambers That's of, right. of the legislature. And the governor's mansion, and also they have a majority on the cabinet. So to that end, right, going back to the point that people need to need to vote, there's 42 Democrats in the Florida House out of 120 uh, members. And uh-huh. so if we lose any of those seats, we get in super majority, super minority status, which means that the rules are waived, Republicans can just shove legislation through the process without really having any debate from the minority party. Um, And so it is super, super important that we show up, particularly for Rep. Learned, right? His seat is one of those crucial seats Mm -hmm. that we have to maintain so we can make sure that we prevent a supermajority in the Florida House. Are there any other races that you're looking at that are key around the state, whether in the Tampa Bay area or not, that will make a difference in Tallahassee? Absolutely. In Tampa Bay, Rep. Learned, as we already talked about, um, Lindsey Cross, who is running to succeed Ben Diamond, um, Rep. Diamond in, in the Pinellas County area, and also Jim McDonald, who is trying to flip the seat that was previously held by Rep. Toledo. Mm-hmm. Um, those three, particularly in the Tampa Bay area, are crucial. And then there's um, three in um, in the Orlando area, Rep. Carlos Guillermo-Smith, who made history. Um, he is in a very, very important and crucial reelect um, to go back to the to the Florida House, and then also AJ D'Amico and Andy Thompson down in South Florida. And tell right. us how Carlos made history. Carlos was the first uh, Latino um, LGBTQ legislator in the Florida House, so um, certainly his voice has been super super important on these issues, especially when it came to "Don't Say Gay." Right, it was on the forefront with Rep. Brainer to um, push back on that legislation, um, and so it is super super important that we have his voice in the House to make sure we have representation. And let's mention again also, Sean was talking about it um, on the Tuesday Cafe, but about the significance of those Supreme Court races. So um, we've, 
what we're talking about is potentially a supermajority mm-hmm. um, in the legislature, as well as um, all Republicans in the cabinet, um, as well as the Republican potentially Republican governor. We'll talk all about talk about that a little bit later. But the Supreme Court justices, so there's five of seven justices on the ballot, um, and the recommendation is from the Democrats is what? Um, most are saying no on everyone but LaBarga. And right. so I know probably Sean went at, 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 in more detail than I can because of the, the history that his father made, but um, there is an argument to be made that if we don't retain any of them, if Ron DeSantis gets reelected, he is now responsible for doing lifetime appointments for the for these five justices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, LaBarga, I think, I can't remember um, what he actually did that allows or makes yeah. Democrats believe that he's okay, but that that's the, the recommendation. Yeah, he's generally um, voted um, against things like the, um, I think, on the... Uh, transportation tax, at least, and some on some abortion issues, I believe. But yes. regardless, he's the he's the only one that Democrats recommend voting yes on. And although DeSantis would be able to appoint their replacements, I believe those replacements would be up for um, re-election again in two years. Whereas these guys, if they get reappointed or re- confirmed again, they are there for six years. That's right. So it's a, quite a bit longer of this um, conservative stronghold lock on our state. And Supreme, no Supreme Court justice has been rejected by the voters. So if they rejected any of these, that would be a real clear signal to the governor and the legislature because they do seem to be poised to further restrict abortion rights in Florida. He has not said exactly what he wants to do, but he has indicated that he wants to ban abortion completely with no exceptions for rape, incest, human trafficking, or the life of the mother. That's right. And to the point that you all both made, right, like there has not been a concerted effort to do judicial retention races in this state. If we're Mm -hmm. having low turnout for the gubernatorial race, like what does that mean for folks who don't even know what the job or the role of a Supreme Court justice is? So I think it just depends on your school of of thought. And then as a Democrat, like what is the strategy? Um, Are we also doing turnout to make sure that Charlie Chris gets elected? So then you know, and we're voting no on these justices to make sure we have a more balanced court. And let's, uh, you mentioned turnout. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about turnout a little bit. Do we, I'm I'm hearing a lot about an enthusiasm gap, an enthusiasm gap between Democrats and Republicans. I even have a friend who went out canvassing a Democratic, um, for, for Democrats. And she said she's hearing from Democrats who are either voting Republican or not voting at all. What, what are you seeing? Do we have any evidence of, of an enthusiasm gap that, that you're seeing that you can talk about? Well, listen, I think that, you know, 2018 was very different, right? Like the, everyone was excited about the folks who were at the top of the ticket. We had Andrew Gillum, we had Sean Shaw and Nikki Freed, like, and, um, it, and all of that was a very unique cycle in the state of Florida. Um, there is certainly a lot of apathy that's happening right now. And what concerns me that, and I, you know, and I'll, I'll be critical of my own party is that we're not telling the story of what we're doing, right? I think folks are providing feedback of just like, why should I vote if nothing, my life isn't changing? I still have to pay a bunch a bunch at the pump. I can't afford groceries. Daycare is out of control, right? And all of these things that the Biden administration has done, we're not doing a good job of telling that story and letting folks know that if you vote with us, we'll make sure to stand up for you while the other party is running amok. And just like healthcare, the Republicans are not offering an alternative. They're just attacking Biden and criticizing inflation. Of course, nobody supports inflation. 
and Biden has actually been doing something to fight it, but they don't give him credit for that. That's right. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF with Janet and Tom, and our guest is political um, consultant and strategist Maya Brown. We're talking about the midterm elections. Give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and tell us what's motivating you to vote this year. Um, What are you seeing among your peers and friends? Is there enthusiasm? Are they fatigued by all of the fighting um, that's going on. And we've uh, got a couple clips that we want to play from uh, a Tiger, Tampa Tiger Bay Club meeting that was on October 21st. And we'll- I'm a, a president of the Tampa Tiger Bay Club, and we thought it would be good to invite some young voters uh, to talk about what's motivating them. And uh, so we invited the uh, president of the uh, Hillsborough Young Democrats, uh, Michael Womack, and the president of the Tampa Bay Young Republicans, Brittany Lacani, to address those issues. So let's hear what um, Michael had to say about um, enthusiasm on the parts of young Democratic voters. I don't think we can expect the same turnout. It's a it's a midterm election, right? Um, it's it's it, they're just historically hard to to get you know people to turn out for. I think that young people. Um, are fatigued. They're fatigued by a lot of the mudslinging that's been going on. They're fatigued by, um, you know, the the Biden versus Trump back and forth. And and you know, I understand it. Frankly, it it, it is fatiguing watching what's going on. It's fatiguing uh, to see how things have sort of devolved. Um, if there's any motivator, I I think that. Um, you know, our generation has not lived in a pre-row society before, and I'm really interested to see how that turns out. So he's talking about fatigue, voter fatigue among uh, young Democrats, but thinking that perhaps abortion is going to be an issue that will drive people to the polls. What do you think, Maya? You know, I, I think it is a both and, right? Like, I think that so many people have pontificated that it's abortion or it's LGBTQ rights or it's the economy for a lot of folks who live at all of those intersections. It is all of those things, right? And so we can't talk about um, abortion without talking about the economic um, hurdles that some folks are going to have to access abortion if um, there's a full-out ban in the state of Florida. And so, yes, and again, kind of going back to the messaging piece, we have to talk about all those things at once, right? We can't just say that Roe is important without making sure that folks can 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 buy their groceries. Um, and that's something that we've been doing in the races that I've been on. One of the races that Tom mentioned earlier was Ashley Gant, who ran um, to succeed the only Democrat in the Florida House who um, voted with Republicans uh, on the 15-week abortion ban. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we told folks. It was like, yes, we need somebody who allows us our own opportunity to make our own personal health care decisions. And we'll also fight for all these other issues because folks aren't only living in one marginalized concept. And I wonder if it's just right now um, notional, the idea of an abortion ban. And then once it becomes um, or if I'm going to have to say if and when mm-hmm. it actually becomes real, that it'll be another cycle that'll get people out there when they're actually are feeling the impact on their lives in the same way that they're feeling things like the economy. Well, we can't wait until election cycles happens to act, right? Like we have to, once uh, the row um, overturn came down, what did we do to actually mobilize people to action? 
there were protests, which are great. Did we register voters? Did we make sure folks had a plan to vote? Did we register them to vote by mail? And I think that those were opportunities that were sorely missed that we're now seeing in terms of apathy and also low voter turnout. Well, the Democrats also did not mount a campaign organized, focused on ousting the Supreme Court justices who appear to be poised to overturn uh, 30 years of precedence in Florida that enshrined reproductive rights through the privacy amendment of the Florida Constitution. They seem to be ready to overturn that. Now, that could lead to a campaign to have another constitutional amendment to make it clear that reproductive rights are protected in Florida. But that's two, four years down the road, and who knows what's going to happen between now and then. That's right. And we also saw, um, I believe, with the Constitutional Review Commission that they made it harder to do citizen-led amendments in the state of Florida. Why, I'm, I'm sure listeners are wondering, is because because the legislature was failing to act on, on the will of the people, we had to use the constitutional amendment process to get things passed. Amendment 4, Amendment 2, um, Amendment 1 with the, the land and water conservation amendment. And so now that they increased the threshold um, to pass ballot amendments because of our talking about threats to democracy, right? Like that is a very clear example. Um, And so, yes, there could be an opportunity to pass a constitutional amendment for reproductive rights, but it's going to be much more difficult. We've got an email I want to read um, from Liz in Spring Hill. She says, let's give a shout out to Kim Walker running for newly drawn Congressional District 12 that has been in the hands of the Bilirakis family for a long time. I've been canvassing with her and she is a refreshing change. A young black woman, a military veteran, mother, LGBTQ plus IT specialist and is running on affordable health care, lowering costs of prescription drugs, and a pragmatic idea that we need reps that reflect us, not mo- not more lawyers to litigate law. Check her out at KimberlyForCongress.com. So thanks for that email, Liz. And Bill Arrakis is an interesting one to, to talk about. I've, I've watched his career for many years, and he is someone who has pivoted so far right, you know, um, in the era of Trump, that he was a, a pretty moderate Republican and just went in lockstep in that other direction. Talk about political convenience, right? Right. Well, it's been interesting on the abortion issue, to get back that one second, because it seemed like a... Well, you know, earlier in the year, it looked like it was going to be a solid Republican wipeout of Democrats. They're going to take control of the House. They're going to take control of the Senate. And then uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned, and a lot of Democrats started getting more optimistic, and the polls suggested that maybe they were going to get uh, more uh, Democrats to vote for them, more independents, you know, moderate Republicans. But that seems to have gone away, and now the economy has continued to be not very good. Uh, so uh, I, I really thought it would be appealing to independent voters, and we have seen the rise of independent voters in Florida. We now have more registered independents in Hillsborough County than Republicans. Not by much, but they're actually more. So do you think that that's an issue that resonates with uh, the independent voters? You know, it's interesting. You know, when I approach these campaigns, it's always hard sometimes to figure out where on the ideological spectrum certain MPA voters fall, right? And so there's a ton of like scoring and models that allow you to guess based on folks in D.C. who are much smarter than I am to say Tom is an MPA voter and he leans Democrat or leans the other way. Um, But I think that this requires something that I very 
deeply believe in. It's called year-round organizing. Are we having continuous conversations, not just during the election cycle, to really understand why people are becoming MPA voters? What do they actually believe in? So we're delivering a message that moves them, right? If I don't, if I just know that Tom is registered as an MPA voter, I don't know what he cares about. I've never talked to him. It's going to be hard to move him to the polls because I don't, I'm not delivering a message mm-hmm. um, that motivates him to do something, to act. And so I think that one of the things that's impacting everybody, no matter what your party is, the economy. Um, and so, yes, we have this kind of blanket overture about abortion, about LGBTQ rights, and, and all those things are fine. But as Democrats, as a big tent party, we have to be able to be nuanced with these messages, especially with MPA voters. And, and we're not really, we don't have a lot of information about them without talking to them. We're talking to political strategist Ma- uh, Maya uh, Brown today on Wavemakers with Janet and Tom. Um, you can give us a call if you want to talk about the midterm elections and what's motivating you and what are you afraid of. Um, our number is 813-239-9663 or you can send us an email to dj at wmnf.org. We got an email from John in Port Ritchie who wants to know where he can find more information about um, find out more information on the judges running the second district court of appeal. Um, um, do you have any thoughts on that? I know that the League of Women Voters has vote411.org, um, so I certainly go check that out. And then also going to do a friendly plug for my friend Sean Shaw. He um, has a lot of thoughts on this. He did some research with some friends who are appellate lawyers, um, so certainly reach out. Um, to Sean, and I'm sure he'll have some advice on that Who was on our show uh, several weeks ago to talk about this issue. His own dad was targeted for removal when he wrote the opinion that said there is a right to abortion in Florida. Yeah, when he, he was, was a targeted. Supreme Court justice. He yeah. was able to uh, get reelected, though, and uh, continue to serve. And we were talking a little bit about um, the economy, voter fatigue, motivating people to vote. So I want to play another clip from the um, Tiger Bay uh, Club meeting with this. This is the um, head of the Young Republicans. And listen to the difference between what she has to say about voter enthusiasm compared to what our young Democrat had to say. Especially when it comes to the state elections here in Florida, we are really focused on the economy. And I disagree that there's not excitement about the midterm elections. Like, obviously, it's very fatiguing. I work on a campaign. I know how difficult it is. And the constant back and forth, Trump versus Biden. But Republicans, we're not focused on Donald Trump right now. We are focused on winning back Congress, winning the Senate, and putting Governor Ron DeSantis back into the governor's mansion. That's what we're focused on. And when the Democrats are constantly talking about Donald Trump this, Donald Trump that, the January 6th committee hearings. That is not what is going to help young voters or any voters in the country that can't afford to put gas in their car. It's just a, it's the economics, the economy. It's the most basic thing that affects everybody in this country. So what you're, you're nodding, Maya, smiling. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it's all the things that we said, right? Like, I, I don't, I cry sometimes. It makes me sad that Democrats don't also own the economic message, right? right? We we just let Republicans say that they're the ones that lead on the economy, that they are the only party that has a plan on the economy, um, even though Biden has done so much. Um, and they don't have a plan. The Republicans don't right. have a plan. That's right. That's right. And so that and so to hear her say that, I'm like, wow, that sounds like what I just said. Right. <laughs> so it, it's funny, but it's also like, hey, Democrats, like, Biden passed relief acts. He's making sure that your student loan debt is being repaid. Like all of these things are actionable 
um, that we can demonstrate to you all that if you walk with and trust Democrats to lead, that we're going to deliver every time. Yeah, and it's interesting because the reality is is that Republicans and Democrats, everybody is concerned about the economy. Everybody is concerned about the economy. The question is, who do you trust to help you with mm-hmm. that? And are you, you know, I, I'm very as somebody who's you know about to hit my 60s, I'm really concerned hearing about um, possible cuts to Medicare, Medicare and Social yeah. Security, Listen, you know? Well, let's call a thing a thing, Janet, right? So when we were in the whole property insurance crisis where a lot of folks are also dealing with that, um, Democrats are the ones who pushed for a special session in the Florida House and in, in, in the Florida legislature. Republicans were the ones who pushed to bail out insurance companies instead of actually delivering relief for everyday people in the state of Florida. Prescription drug costs. Democrats are the one leading on that issue and making sure that we're holding the pharmaceutical industry um, accountable and, and making sure that folks can afford their insulin. Right. Mm-hmm. That was the Biden administration and the Republic, excuse me, the Democratic majority in the in the House. So we have threats to uh, women's reproductive rights. We have uh, uh, threats to our democracy. Um, but the economy trumps everything, it sounds like. Well, all of those things are true at once. But yeah. threats to democracy, let's face it, is very important mm-hmm. because we are seeing things happen left and right in this state where you, you basically don't have checks and balances anymore. You don't have guardrails to try to keep the most extreme measures uh, from becoming law. Uh, we saw recently uh, a court uh, decided that the voters shouldn't have a say in the All for Transportation Amendment. Um, will, will the voters be allowed to have a voice in that issue? Um. Well, we're going to be able to talk about, we've got Christina Barker on the line, and we're going to be talking about that. We've also got um, two other callers, um, Gail and Steve. We're going to get to your calls in just a moment. Um, but let's talk to Christina about, um, Christina, you're on the line. Can you hear me? Hi, how are you? Thanks so much for having me call in. Thanks for thanks for calling. So we did hear um, Brittany talk a little bit about you know January sixth and how that's not something that necessarily resonates. We're talking about threats to democracy, and I would say the the issue with all for transportation is one of those um, issues where we had voters who said that they wanted this on the ballot and then uh, they wanted this tax for transportation and it was thrown out, but now it's back on the ballot. And Christina, tell us about that. What? Um, why is this? offer transportation tax important? You know, it's really critical that people vote all the way down their ballot. The most important thing on your ballot is at the end, if you live in Hillsborough County or other counties looking to secure this type of revenue to make sure that we can maintain our quality of life. The offer transportation referendum is a investment in the community, an investment that voters already wanted to make in 2018 when they passed it the first time by almost 60 percent. It's an investment in safety to make sure that our roads um, aren't some of the deadliest in the country. It's an investment in transit options to make sure people can get to work, can pick up their kids from school on time, don't have to own a car. Um, If they live in a place where they can get to work on transit, that saves them, you know, housing costs and transportation costs. It's, it's really critical that we get this referendum passed, and there's been a lot of back and forth on it, but ultimately we know that the community supports it and the community wants to see these improvements. And so we are out there for the next week, and we are campaigning really hard to make sure we get 
all the yes votes we need to ensure that Hillsborough County has a functioning transportation system. But that is, it is on the ballot, and it is um, on the ballot again for a second time, and vote, if you vote for it, voted for it last time, vote for it again is what you're saying, and if you um, didn't vote for it last time, vote for it this time. <laughs> yeah, if you voted for it last time, it's the same plan you voted for in 2018, and what we've seen in the last four years is that our backlog has ballooned from $9 billion to $13 billion in transportation needs. That means that we're paying a billion dollars a year to do nothing. That's not an investment. That's just going into debt, and that's not what we want for our community. And so if you voted for it before, vote yes again. It's identical to what you voted for in 2018. And if you voted no, like the rest of us, you're sitting in worse traffic. You're reading stories about people getting hit by cars because they don't have sidewalks near schools. It's it's really unacceptable. Um, it's It's a real minor investment for really big change in the community, and we think that we're going to see voters support it again next week. Uh, I'm curious um, uh, about um, the safety issue. Talk to us a little bit more about what sort of safety investments um, would come from this transportation tax. Yeah, there aren't a lot of communities um, that have a real dedicated source of revenue for safety on our roads, and that's exactly what the Offer Transportation Plan provides. It has dedicated funding to make our roads safer. We have, we lose as many people on our roads as New York City and they have way more people than we do. That's unacceptable. That's not the type of list we want to be at the top of. Um, sidewalks, crosswalks, school safety zones, designing roads and making them so that they are safer for people. Our roads are dangerous by design. It's not an accident that we have so many car crashes and we lose so many of our loved ones on the roads of this county, that is because we don't have the funding to make the roads safer. And that Especially sidewalks, Christina. It's really important. Yeah, sidewalks. I, I saw a comment on that Hellscape website called uh, Next Door <laughs> complaining about a lack of sidewalks. And I find a disconnect there. People don't seem to realize, I mean, I think half the roads in Tampa do not have sidewalks, I think. Trying to fill that gap without extra funding is going to be next to impossible, wouldn't you say? It absolutely will be impossible. We don't have sidewalks places not because people don't want them or because our county commission doesn't want to fund them. They're not there because there's no money to pay for them. Right. Um, and that, you know, this plan would save more than 1,100 lives. It would prevent more than 55,000 injuries and 140,000 car crashes. Those are real people. Those are our neighbors who are victims of that. And so we want to see that changed. And funding is how we get there. Um, well, thank you for the call, Christina. We appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me. Talk soon. Thank you. Um, we've got um, Gail from Bel Air on the line. I want to take Gail's call. Um, Gail, Gail, you're on the line. What's on your mind? Hi. I just finished early voting in downtown Clearwater, and I find it interesting that for every single partisan race on my ballot, the first person listed is the Republican. Regardless of alphabetical order or anything like that, I just found that curious. I don't, are they? I don't. Are they usually alphabetical or it's typically al- alphabetical? But well, last name. Well, well, the Pinellas election supervisor is Republican. Could that have anything to do with it? Maybe is well, Gail, Was it last name uh, alphabetical that was an issue? Like it no, wasn't in order. It's not alphabetical. For example, for governor, DeSantis is first. I believe C comes before D. There also Chris. Huh. is the element of incumbency as well. I believe also that might that might play a role in in the list on the ballot. But too. Gail, that's very interesting. I I, I want to look research that some more. I find that to be fascinating. Yeah, I, just, 
So I, I'm sure we can find a sample ballot. Yeah, because candidates look for every small advantage they can get, oh, right, Maya? I mean, you work with them uh, intimately uh, during these campaigns. And so being listed first can make a difference, right? Yeah, and also... Hi. Go ahead, Gail. I'm sorry. No, no, I, I agree. I, I think it could, it could be just the easiest thing to do, right? Just check the first one. Okay, so we just got it. Gail, we just have an email now from um, our... Our news director, Sean Canaan, brilliant man that he is, and says, under Florida law, the party of the governor is listed first. Interesting. Oh. So there you go. So just yet another way that the Republicans can continue to maintain their stronghold on the state of Florida. Really. I mean, yeah. thanks for that call, Gail. That's really interesting. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the show, and thanks to Sean for clearing it up. Yeah, and um, if you want to give us a call and weigh in and let us know what, what you saw on the ballot this year or how you voted, uh, you can call us 813-239-9663 or send us an email um, at dj at wmnf.org. We also have Steve from Tampa. He's on the line. Steve, what's on your mind? Hi, this is Steve from Tampa, and more important than what I was going to say, shout out to Sean Canan. Uh, he's always great, McKenna Schuler, and then there's another young woman who does the local news. M Megan Bowman, that. probably. Megan Bowman. I mean, you know, who also has a music show, so she's a double threat on WMNF. She's awesome. Everybody, everybody at WMNF is awesome, and in particular, you know, as a high school journalism student, I didn't pursue it, you know, but I mean, they're just really, really really professional. I mean, it's such a treat. And like, I tune in to Fox News at least half an hour every night. Ain't, but I do it, see what the other side's saying. And I compare whether it's Sean or McKenna, you know, the whole news crew. I mean, they're just, they're, you know, they're just, they're great. So Steve, I, I, was gonna, I, I'm sorry. All I was going to, I don't want to hold you up or have dead air. Listen, on an earlier caller, it said, you know, what are, you know, what is, you know, the Democrats, you know, I mean, they don't own the economics. And one thing that struck me, if I remember correctly, for the last presidential election, uh, they kept the, you know, the, uh, the, the Republicans kept promising a platform. They never had a written platform in the United States of America in the 21st century. They didn't have a written platform. Well, if you write it down, people might want to hold it to you, you know? Well, and there's also the issue of inflation, because I think to myself, and I see it when I go to Walmart, I see people scrawl, I won't repeat it, but, you know, all over their truck, you know, Trump, and then they give you the price of gas three years ago, Biden, and then they give you the price of gas in June or July. And I'm thinking, you know, and everybody, Biden's, you know, the Democrats are responsible for inflation, and I'm thinking... You know, gee whiz, because I do have a background in economics. I'm thinking, if you guys are right and you can fix inflation, you're in line for the next Nobel Prize. It's a slam dunk. And so elections are very often about, like, blaming. And that's what's going on here. There's the notion that, you know, somehow, you know, the Democrats are responsible for inflation uh, you know, there's just too many variables. Well, there's inflation, inflation all over the world. In Europe, <laughs> responsible for the so inflation there, which is even worse than in the United States inflation. But a lot of people don't pay attention to that, what's happening in other parts of the world. Well, Steve, thanks yes, for the call. thank you, Steve. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um, we've got another um, text message. This one says, when I hear economy, I hear greed. I wish the people arguing over the economy would realize they're broke and that little 
The little bit more that we pay would not have made us rich. The wealthy purse string pullers rule us with the dream that one day we'll be able to live like them. Stop being greedy. I'm not sure what that what you mean by that, but um, I appreciate the text. Um, we've never another one from HW and Largo who says the main problem with the Democratic Party is that there's too many old heads in the forefront of it. They don't know how to fight and they operate from a hunky dory perspective. I'm curious what you think about that, Maya, because you're a young head. You're you're young. <laughs> um, I and, feel old. <laughs> <laughs> well, you still got a week to go in the election. I, you, yes. you must be exhausted. You're still a lot older than six yeah, days. But, right. the, but what do you think about that? I mean. That, that's an interesting. That's an interesting point. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's been a lot of internal critique about who's in leadership in our party, um, and making sure that the big tent that we say we are that that's reflected in its leadership. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of conversation and a lot of um, critique about putting Charlie Crist up again to run for governor. Right when we had um, someone who would say was a stark difference in Andrew Gillum when we had him as a gubernatorial mm-hmm. nominee. Um, or Nikki Freed. Or, who was, yeah. Yeah. Who ran um, in the primary. But I think that um, we have to do more. I, I don't think HW is wrong in that regard in our party. But I think that when we put up folks who represent our community, we win. Ventress, Michelle, right? Ashley, yep. right? Like yep. all of these are clear examples. Carlos, Anna Eskamani and Orlando, right? Yeah. Diverse folks who look like the community that they're they're attempting to serve, all young, um, who have bold vision for what the state could be. But one thing that the Republicans have done this year that I think was pretty uh, smart, and the Democrats should be doing the same thing if they want to win, is back people running for the school board. And DeSantis mm-hmm. was pretty successful in getting some of his loyalists elected to school boards, not in Hillsborough, uh, not yet in Pinellas, but we will see. The reason I say that is because those kinds of offices are kind of the bench for politics. That's, yep. that's where you develop young leaders. It's where, for example, uh, Pat Frank was first elected to office 50 years ago and then went on to the state house, the state senate, the county commission, and the clerk of the court. Um, I, 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 do you see that happening in the Democratic Party? Are they trying to fill these Tampa City Council seats, the county commission seats, school board seats, with Democrats who could then go on to higher office? We need to do better at that, Tom. Um, We certainly have to. It shouldn't be a question of who's going to run for X particular seat during that election cycle or six months before um, the ballots go out. Like That is a problem, one, because I always believe that running for office starts well before you even file to get your name on a ballot, right? Like, Are you ingrained in your community? Do, Do folks know you? Have you shown up and served already? All of those things are super important, and that's where the bench starts. Yes, it's on local races, and hopefully their name ID increases so they can run and seek higher office. Um, I know that they do a um, better job of that down in South Florida, but Hillsboro's hard, right? We only have three municipalities mm-hmm. in Hillsboro. There's not a lot of places where folks can go. Um, and so we have to you know, find creative ways. If it's the Soil and Water Commission, right. the HOA boards, right? All of those ways that people can show up and serve in Citizens their community. Citizens advisory committees. That's, that's right. always a good way to um, get your feet wet. Um, and there's we, appointments, board appointments as yep, well. Yep. We got an email um, or text message from... OP who says, it's been disappointing to see DeSantis ads with no accountability for his bad and deadly policies. Where's the outrage that he spent taxpayer money on a political stunt and said he would do it again? Ads that say he kept Florida open, but at a tremendous cost of human life. Um, the political stunt, I assume uh, the listener is referring to, would be the ouster 
yeah. of uh, the elected state attorney of Hillsborough no, County. No, I think the political stunt would be the sending of the, um, uh, the, um, oh, the Venezuelans migrants. to um, well, so, Massachusetts, which you would have thought was, um, would have not been you know, reflected poorly on him, but apparently people love it. I, yeah. Yeah, including, from what I understand, some Venezuelans and Cubans, that they're, they also are, are supportive of him. So, interesting. Um, Andrew Warren, though, let's, if we could just talk briefly about that, was ousted by the uh, governor based on things he said, not what he did. And uh, now we're going to see whether there are checks and balances in our system because we know if, it, if there's a trial in the state senate, they're just going to do whatever the governor tells them. Right. And if it goes to the state Supreme Court, they're going to do the same thing. So any thoughts on what's going to happen there with that particular threat to democracy? Yeah, so I think um, State Attorney Warren was not only once duly elected by the voters, but twice. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, Hillsborough was very clear in in both of those electoral victories that who they wanted to serve as their chief law enforcement officer. The kind of criminal justice system that they wanted. That's right. That was redemptive, not punitive, right? Like all of these things. And I had the honor of working in Andrew's office when he first got elected um, and was just so... um, proud of what he did to move this community forward. Um, But I do think that, one, as a lawyer, it makes sense to go through litigation and go on appeal and make sure that we are demonstrating to folks that we can't just take this lying down, right? Like, we're going to take it to task with DeSantis, and I think he's doing a good job of that um, as well. And and hopefully um, the legal system finds justice for Andrew and for the 1.5 million voters um, and people who live in Hillsborough County. Um, we've got um, uh, Brian from Sarasota on the line. Brian from Sarasota, um, you're on the line. Tell us what's on your mind. Well, I'd written a letter to the uh, Sarasota Hero Tribune because I started to see these uh, bumper stickers saying, uh, don't New York my Florida. So then I decided to look up the crime statistics. Uh, and... Uh, New York City has the same homicide rate as uh, Sarasota. Hmm. It's about five per 100,000. And then I further looked up that uh, they always criticize Chicago with a high homicide rate. Well, Tallahassee and Jacksonville has three to four times the homicide rate of Chicago. And, and Jacksonville has a Republican mayor. Yeah, I know it. I mean, you, you if you want to take Memphis or any other south, southern city, they usually have a higher homicide rate than uh, um, Chicago. Uh, well, yeah. Brian, when you specific, interesting that you're saying Sarasota has the same homicide rate as New York City because Sarasota actually right now is just a an enclave of far right Republicans. Yeah, right? it's the center of uh, right wing Republican politics in Florida, if not the country. I mean, it's where. Donald Trump's uh, uh, truth social social thing is is based and and, and other right-wing groups. What has happened to Sarasota? It used to be a, 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 you know, moderate conservative uh, city, would you say? Say it again, Brian. Yeah, I moved to Sarasota because I lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which was a haven, of course, uh, the University of Michigan. And I expected to be Sarasota to be similar to uh, Ann Arbor with its theaters and opera and everything else. And now I'm becoming, I've been here about 10 years, I'm becoming kind of disillusioned with the drift that Florida is taking. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it, it, people aren't moving down here because 
of the job opportunities because you simply can't earn enough money to retire in Florida Mm -hmm. for a half-million-dollar house living in Florida. Anyway, I just want to tell you that uh, Chicago or Sarasota has a homeless problem very similar to Los Angeles. Just drive down Central Avenue and look in the woods around Sarasota and you'll see these people camped out. Oh, I have a feeling you won't see that story on Fox News because it does not fit the Republican narrative. Well, you'll never see anything on Fox News because some of the people in the medals said, well, they were invited in on January 6th. And I thought the country's in a serious problem. Yeah. Brian, thanks for the call. I appreciate it very much. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. We've got Jeff from Tarpon Springs on the line. Jeff from Tarpon Springs, what's on your mind? Well, it's the fact that our governor says the state is in such good shape. He's awash with money. Why doesn't he put something into the school systems and have it so the children get a good education? Because we're close to the bottom in school systems in the United States. And all he wants to do is give the money to for-profit schools where somebody's lining their pockets. Well, my theory is that it's easier to control ignorant masses. <laughs> you know? You're correct. Yeah, so th- there's not really any reason to develop critical thinking skills. Mm-hmm. They don't really want to do that, um, which is a very dark thought. But you got to think down the road. You do. Okay. Well, you folks take care, and thank you for your show. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for calling Bye-bye. in. Um, so we were talking a little bit about um, threats to democracy. Um, we we're talking, I mean, the, um, uh, we're, the all for transportation tax, although we did get a, a, a – I just want to mention that we did have a text message who – from somebody who's not a fan of that and says that he doesn't think the money will go where it's supposed to go. Um, but uh, although the, the the referendum does very explicitly dictate where the money can that be spent. That is enshrined in an ordinance. It's in, yeah, so it, it's, it will be very well controlled. But um, the threat to democracy is apparent in that, what happened with all for transportation tax, also what happened with um, Andrew Warren, um, where, you know, do we live, are we headed towards a world where um, our elected leaders just remove their opponents. They are just removed from office, and it doesn't really even matter what the voters want. And we are no longer really a democracy. We're not right. being con- – It's the majority is no longer in control. DeSantis was sending a message with what he did to Andrew Warren just as he was sending a message to former felons – who have gotten their right to vote back. Heartbreaking. Uh, Terrible. All of these people who thought that they could vote legally, the state had given them a voter registration card, and yet they are arrested. So what do you think, Maya? Was that more intended to send a message to uh, these this group of people who are trying to get their lives back together? There's so much. I have so many thoughts on all of this that I want to just like word vomit it all out. But one is, and I'm trying to move through it quickly. Yes, it is an intentional um, act of tyrannical power, right? Like he is trying to demonstrate that he is the most powerful um, leader in this in the state, if not this country, right? Mm-hmm. That not only folks in his party, but everyone else, even if you disagree, have to fall in line with his ideological thinking and his behavior, which mm-hmm. is not a democracy. That leads to apathy. Um, there's also a direct intersection to voter suppression and SB 90 and making sure that folks can't vote by mail and cast their ballots, right? Moving folks away from casting and letting their voices be heard 
effort to push back on him, to hold him accountable, right? He does not want to be accountable to anyone. He feels... Um, he feels as if that he can just move through the state and in this space as governor with unchecked power. And that certainly is a threat to democracy. And I think the third thing about um, returning citizens, um, one, that video was just heartbreaking. And the fact Terrible. that we're using taxpayer dollars to do that, like we did for um, moving Venezuelan migrants to Martha's from Texas, Vineyard, from Texas, they weren't even here is absolutely a waste of our taxpayer dollars. And so one thing I think is a clear, a very clear takeaway is that, um, we need to watch people, not only what they say, but what they do, right? Mm -hmm. Republicans are the biggest hypocrites for the most part, especially Ron DeSantis that I've ever seen. They'll say one thing about making sure we have the safest elections in the state of Florida, but pass a police elections bill, right? They'll talk about um, making sure that they are the most um, fiscally responsible party in our state, but utilize tax dollars for purposes that we didn't intend to it. So we need to make sure as voters that we are apt of what's going on and making sure that we're holding these folks accountable to not just run amok. And so what is the problem right now with the Democratic Party in Florida? My, we have talked about all these important issues that you are addressing personally, some of your uh, clients and candidates are, but it looks like if you believe the polls, there's going to be a Republican wipeout of a lot of Democrats. Um, the Republicans, it looks like, are going to control the uh, governor's mansion and, 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 and Tallahassee, they run the court system. So what is the problem right now? Is it messaging? Is it the wrong people who are representing the Democratic Party? Looking ahead, uh, what what is what's the problem? What what's the answer? Sure. So I certainly don't want to do a postmortem before election day, right? <laughs> um, but I do think that yes, it's messaging, right? Like what conversations are we having? Um, and just to be clear, I know I kind of went I got on my soapbox um, about Republicans, but I think that it's Republican leadership. It's not everyday voters, right. unless you're like right wing and 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 devalue my humanity as right. a black woman, right? But I think that. We have to make sure even Republicans some believe what we believe, right? We heard it in the clip about uh, the economy and making sure we have freedom to choose and freedom to be. Um, and so there are there's ways that it doesn't have to be whether you're a D or an R, but who's going to stand up and stick up for you in the legislature? And I think that's what we need to tell the mes message and tell the story. Of it this. does seem like the Republicans are more controlled with their messaging, much more disciplined. Oh, yeah. uh, they agree on what the messaging is going to be, and they all move in a giant path. I mean, e even when it comes to disinformation and lies, yep. uh, look at what has been spread about Nancy Pelosi's husband, attacked in their own home in San Francisco by someone wielding a, a hammer clearly out to get her and kneecap her, and yet they're creating all sorts of wild ideas and yet, and they're, and they're spreading, spreading it. And they're spreading it. Well, I mean, we try to, and, you know, one, call a thing a thing, call it, you know, and say, this is a lie. This is how, explain it, walk you through it. We have, we like to do dissertations about policy ideas. When I think that it can be as simple as talking about the economy, people want to be able to pay their rent. Right. Period. Right. People, when it comes to abortion, it doesn't, you know, yes, exceptions make sense. People have different ideas on terms of viability, but people want the, the right to make their own health care decisions. Period. Very something simple, succinct, mm -hmm. and it allows folks along the ideological spectrum to choose where they want to be. Right. On the right. Right. That they have very prescribed messaging on what to be, what who to be who to vote for, what they feel, what they believe. And on our side, we can have the same succinct messaging and allow folks to meet us of where they are. Well, it was very interesting at that Tiger Bay Club meeting, listening to the young um, 
Republican woman, and she was very on message, mm-hmm. very, very pointed. We've got a bunch of folks on the line here. So um, David Tillery from Tampa is on the line. Um, David, what's on your mind? Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I wanted to let you know why I'm running for office at Florida House District 66. Okay, real quick. Okay, we've got a real serious threat to democracy with fascism in Florida. It's happened not just by their talk, but by their actions, taking away LGBTQ rights, women's rights, voters' rights. These things need to be restored. I'm looking to get to Tallahassee to do that. Who are you running against, David? Tracy Coster, who's voted against women's rights. She's voted against voters' rights. Everything DeSantis put down the pike, she voted for, including taking away the proper teaching of uh, black history, much, much more. And what county are you in? Uh, that's Hillsborough County from Keystone to Lutz. Keystone to Lutz. fought for the EPC uh, meeting to stop Lutz, an uh, air curtain incinerator, from being built in a residential area in Lutz. She was nowhere to be found on that crisis when that crisis hit. All right. David, thanks for the call. David, Appreciate thanks it. for running because it's not an easy it's thing to do It's not an easy days. thing to do. Thank you. Um, Clay from Landa Lakes. Clay, you're on the line. Greetings. How are we today? Thanks for the show. Um, I wanted I wanted to say something about we talked about De- Ron DeSantis and uh, like taking the Venezuelan migrants up yep. to um, Massachusetts. You have to under th- those were legal migrants, and what he what he engaged in was uh, illegal. It was human trafficking, and you should be mad that our dust- Justice Department hasn't pursued him for that. I mean, he had no right to do that, and he had no right to spend our taxpayer dollars to do it. Well, you know, interesting, um, Clay. We don't have too much more time, so I'm going to I'm going to um, right. drop well, your call, but I'm going to comment on what you said. The um, I also like to point out that uh, didn't we or ask didn't we pass a constitutional amendment overwhelmingly to stop gerrymandering in the state of Florida? Yes, we did. And the districts. Florida Supreme Court is not upholding that amendment. That's part of the problem of the threat to democracy in this state. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And David Teller would make a great candidate. I know David Teller is a good man. <laughs> great. Clay, Thank thanks so much for calling. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the the the, the stunt to, to fly those migrants from Texas to Massachusetts was a very odd thing that, that um, DeSantis did. But um, we have a... You know, the burden is on those border states, so it, there's needs to be really a holistic solution to how to how to help those states and also how to help those people. That was not the right way to go about it, like in my opinion. Dumping them someplace that wasn't right. expecting them. But um, we, we need a a good um, comprehensive strategy on how to deal with immigration in this country. Um, Stephen from St. Pete, you're our last caller, so I'm going to give you 20 seconds. Steve. I just wanted to say that the last time that. Any legislation that was passed for working people, the working poor, minorities, children, women, was in the 1960s by Lyndon Baines Johnson. Nothing has changed since then. Nothing will continue to change because the people you vote for serve their donors, and the Mm. donors come first. The only thing that's going to change anything in this country is civil disobedience where you cost these people money. That's when they're going to come to the negotiating table. So we can get national health care in this country. We can get expanded coverage for people that have children so they get maternal leave. You got a K through 20 education system. 
things that people need, not this yep. identity politics stuff. Steve, thanks. I don't want to interrupt you, Thank but you. We got, we're about Bye to now. go off the air. Yeah, thanks um, for the call, Steve. And I do, I'm glad you mentioned Obama because, and, and the um, health care because that was a significant um, program that was passed um, after Lyndon Baines Johnson. Maya, thanks so much for being here. What a great show. We really appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation very much. Try to hang in for the next week. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And all listeners, please, please, please go cast your ballots today. Early voting ends on Sunday. Um, if you have a vote by mail it, ballot, go drop it off. And um, stay tuned. Um, coming up next is uh, uh, Harrison Nash, Harrison Nash um, right after the NPR headline news. Yeah.